Tonight, I want us to look at the Beatitudes of Revelation. You know, when we think of the Beatitudes, we think of uh, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, and all those uh, through the first 12 verses of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. If I were to tell you that there are other statements or passages that begin with the phrase blessed, uh, happy are those who do this and that, um, you might be surprised if I were to tell you they're in the book of Revelation. And that's what I want us to do. There are seven statements in the book of Revelation where the Lord begins with blessed are or blessed is the man. And that's what we want to look at uh, this afternoon. Those statements from a book that, well, is a, a book about war. It's a book about bloodshed. It's a book about death. Uh, conflict, and in the midst of all of that, there are these blessings that the Lord gives us. So let's go through this afternoon and just pick out those beatitudes, if you will, uh, from the book of Revelation. If you have your Bible, open it to begin with, with Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. Jesus said, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. For the time is near. Blessed is he who reads and keeps the words of this prophecy. You know, for a lot of people, the book of Revelation is just so complex. And I'm not about to tell you, I know one preacher says it's the easiest book in the Bible. Eh, I don't know that that's the case. I do know that we can understand it a whole lot better than what maybe you think you can. There's so many fanciful theories, so many far-out speculative thoughts about the book of Revelation. But let me tell you something. If you will learn the first three verses of the first chapter of the book of Revelation and apply that to the rest of the book, you'll know more than 99% of the religious world. You see, because of dispensational premillennialism and some other things like that, there are people who view the book of Revelation as something that's going to happen tomorrow or the next day, and they're looking for fulfillment in newspapers. Uh, back in the early 90s, when we first got into that first Gulf War, man, uh, Christian bookshelves exploded with books about Armageddon and, uh, you know, all this stuff is coming to pass and... And uh, everybody was looking for indications, you know, this is what the book of Revelation is talking about. Listen, if you'll keep the book of Revelation in its proper context, you'll miss a whole lot of this speculative thinking that people engage in. In fact, turn with me in Revelation chapter 1 and look at verse 1 with me. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, notice things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Two things. Number one, he said, what I'm writing is going to be a little bit different. It's written, it's signified. It's a book of symbols. It's apocalyptic literature. Uh, you can see a lot of it in the book of Daniel and Ezekiel and, and uh, parts in Matthew uh, chapter 24. Uh, it, it's a certain genre of literature that is 
set in symbols and signs. And, and so it's not going to be straightforward narrative. He tells us that up front. There's going to be symbolism in this book. But the second thing he tells us is something about the time of the things that this book is writing about. When's this going to happen? 2,000 years in the future from the, one, from the time that this is revealed to John? Is it a long way in the future? Is it something that might happen tomorrow or the next day or the next day? Should we be looking at the newspaper and keeping up with what's going on in the Middle East to make sure that we're not caught off guard by the things that are going to happen? Listen to what is revealed. He's going to write things in symbols and signs about things that must shortly take place. Verse 1. And he reiterates it in verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. If we would understand that the book of Revelation is largely history for us today, we would do ourselves a great favor in understanding the book properly. It was, John was getting revealed to him things that living in that time were to shortly take place. The time was at hand. There were things that were about to, to come upon the church that they were going to have to deal with that weren't going to be pleasant. There were going to be hardships and death and martyrdom and all of this stuff was going to happen, but it was going to happen to them very shortly. He wasn't talking about things 2,000 years out. Uh, he wasn't giving encouragement to people living in the first century about things that, wow, they're so far away, how could that be an encouragement to them? He said, and keep that context in mind, things that must shortly take place. The book of Revelation is a book of warfare. Jesus is presented not only as a lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, but he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's a book about bloodshed. It's a book about conflict. It's a book about Christians being martyred for the cause of Christ, but they're encouraged to stay faithful because Jesus is going to be victorious. There's a battle, and you know the... There are different ideas about this. Some say it's a battle between Rome and, or I mean, Christians in Jerusalem. I think, personally, I think it's Christians in, in Rome. But there's going to be a battle that takes place, and God will come out victorious. And whether you get the participants exactly right, you know, whether this is something uh, that you get right or, or wrong, the point is, I know who's going to win. Regardless of who the enemy is, I know who's going to win. It's the people of God. Because they'll overcome the enemy by the testimony, by the blood of Jesus Christ, and their willingness to die for that cause. Revelation chapter 13. Um, If you have those things, you'll overcome Satan. And so, blessed is he who reads and keeps the words of this prophecy. You know what? When I read the book of Revelation, I look at it today as history. What a conflict these early Christians had to go through. What danger, what what peril, what martyrdom. 
How hard must it have been for those Christians? But they stayed faithful. They would not deny their Lord. They would give up their life if it called for it. Do I have that kind of faith today? I should read that book and learn from it and be blessed by it because of their faithfulness, I'm emboldened, I'm strengthened. It can, you can do it. You can be faithful. What can a person do? The worst a person can do to you is take your life. They can snuff out your existence here on earth. But as we'll see in this book, that, that doesn't win. They, they, they haven't won because of that. Oh, it may appear as though they did, but they haven't. So he begins the book by giving a blessing on those who read. And I find it ironic because he says, you're blessed if you read this prophecy. And it's one of the books we want to shy away from. But it's one of the specific books that God said you'll be blessed if you read it. We need to read it and not make it as hard as some have made it. Keep it in its context. Keep it in its place. To a large part, uh, to us today, it is history. All right? Let's look at the second thing. Revelation chapter 14 and turn to verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. This book is a book that is stained with the blood of martyrs. Um, you might say that it was pinned in the, the blood of Christians. There were going to be people who would have to sacrifice their life here on earth, give up their families, give up their possessions, and be put to death in grotesque ways. Um, gladiatorial games, used as sport for wild animals, and all the things that Rome did at, at that early time. Um, people died. But here's the blessing. You're blessed. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Why? How can you say that a person is blessed if they're dead? Because life goes on. It's just a transition. And, and we have reached our, our goal of heaven. The person is happy. Their works will follow them in heaven. There will be a reward. There's life after death. This isn't all there is. If it were, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, we are of all men most pitiable. But there's more. And so those who would forfeit their life to stay faithful to Jesus, He'll take care of you. He'll repay you. You haven't lost by, uh, by dying. You've won by surrendering. The Bible tells us how that works. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, Jesus is described as the one who holds the keys to death in Hades. Um. You get locked up in death. You know, you're in a place. We don't just leave the Hadean realm. We're, we're stuck there. You die, you, you're dead. You don't come back. But Jesus has the keys. He'll let you out. Everything will be all right because he, he's in control of it. Here's another passage. Look at Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15. Jesus said, Behold, I am coming. As a thief, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, 
lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Again, there's another blessing. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. I think there's a correlation. There's a connection between watching and keeping your garments clean. We need to watch and be mindful and ready for the return of Jesus at any moment. And if we were, would we not sin less frequently? Listen, if you knew for sure that Jesus was coming back tonight, I dare say our second assembly today would be more full than it is right now. If people were watching and expecting the return of Jesus, they wouldn't want to be caught at home doing lesser things. That watchfulness helps us to live right. It helps us to keep our garments clean. Who goes out and sins and and flagrantly violates the will of God if they're thinking at any moment Jesus could return? I sure wouldn't want to be caught in this situation doing these things. So he says the person who watches and keeps his garments clean is blessed. And we can understand why that would be, because he'll be ready for when the Lord does come. Look at Revelation chapter 19 and verse 9. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Blessed is he who is called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know what I find interesting? This is a book, again, that is bathed in blood. You, you go to chapter 6 and verse 10 and you, you see the saints. They're under the altar and they're crying out to God, How long, O Lord, how long until you avenge our blood? And we've given our life for you. Our, our lives have been snuffed out because of our faithfulness to you. How long until you bring vengeance on those people that have done this to us? It's a time of war. You just go back a couple chapters, chapter 17 and chapter 18, and, and the mother of harlots is pictured in the imagery. And it says, you know, look at chapter 17 and verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. The imagery is, is of a woman that is literally drunk by drinking the blood of saints. This is a horrible time for the people of God. They're being put to death. They're being beheaded. There is this party atmosphere that these people are bathed in the blood of saints. And yet, you come to 19, and the Lord's talking about a marriage feast. The point to me is life goes on. There's more than what you see. After death, after fighting, there's life. This isn't all there is. You know, every time you see God pictured in the book of Revelation, and all this massacre of saints that is taking place, and the the, uh, torment and the persecution they're going through, and you get this image of God, you know, you're looking here and seeing this, and then you look to heaven and see what God's doing, and He's on His throne. And the angels are sitting around saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Worthy is the Lord. He's not flustered. He's not panicked. 
He's in control. He's sitting on His throne. And the angels are going about their business praising the powerful God of the universe. What you see here and now is not the end of the story. There can be joy in the midst of great pain for the child of God. Look at Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6. Again, yet another passage. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. There's no time to go into all the intricacies of of Revelation chapter 20, but let me just suggest this by way of just, you know, doing this in a survey fashion like we are. In Revelation chapter 20, if you'll back up, well, back to, you know, chapter 6, verse 10, Christians are being killed. And they're crying out, how long, Lord, till you, till you avenge us? How long are you going to let this go? And the Lord answers and says, not yet. I'm going to let it go on just a little bit longer. But I'll take care of things. I'm still in control. And you come to Revelation chapter 20, and look at what it says in verse 4. I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or the image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. I think the imagery of the first resurrection, that those who partake in it will not taste the second death, I think what he's talking about is this resurrection of of a... These men have given their lives to God. From the earthly standpoint, you look at them, you see a dead body there. You see mutilation. You see guys cutting their heads off and laughter and whatever the display was and calloused hearts and these Christians are going to their death. They're, they're so defeated. How are you going to stand up and fight Rome? There's no way. It looks like they're victorious. It looks like Christians have lost. But not so. Because there's a resurrection. You see, those people who have been beheaded and who look like they've lost, you get a picture behind the scenes in Revelation 20. And those who have been beheaded, what are they doing? They're reigning with Christ. They're not defeated. They're victorious. Oh, they can't see it on the, from the earthly perspective, but God, that's one of the purposes He gives us this book. Look, there's more going on than what you just see right in front of you right now. There's life after death. Those who have surrendered have become the victors because of their relationship to Jesus. Blessed are those who will surrender their life. God has a resurrection for them. They'll reign with God, and they, they have. And then look at Revelation chapter 22 and verse 7. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. 
It's one thing to know the book. It's another thing to keep it. Knowledge cannot be substituted uh, for obedience. We, we have to obey the Lord. Um, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter um, 5 that uh, in order to be faithful to God, we have to obey. He's the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And that's what we need to understand. We, we, need, to, uh, we need to obey the Lord. If we don't obey, there's no blessing. If you put what you know into practice, obey him, follow in his footsteps, there's reason to be blessed. Also, and then finally, look, look at uh, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may f- have right to the tree of life, um, and may enter in through the gates into the city. Again, there's the idea of those who do his commandments. We need to be watchful in verse 7. Um, we need to be um, doing in verse uh, 14. So obedience is necessary. Those are seven promised blessings. Happiness, joy that will belong to those who do these things. I would encourage you to go back and look at them and think about them and and spend some time meditating and mulling those over in your mind. Because I'll tell you, in a book like Revelation that is bloody from beginning to end, if there's reason to be happy in the midst of all that, then what do I have to complain about? What is there today that is robbing me of joy? Because I sure haven't had to put my life on the line. As we mentioned this morning in Hebrews chapter 12, I haven't resisted the bloodshed yet. How can I, in a land of such religious freedom, and we meet here in a building like this with very little air conditioning? Uh, You know, how can we complain and say, man, it's just too hard. It's too hard. No, it's not. These people were giving their lives. They they were being beheaded for the cause of Christ. And God is still able to say, man, you are so blessed. We are. And the reason for it is simply because of our relationship to Jesus. We have a Savior. We have a conqueror. We have one who will overcome the evil one. And as long as we stay with him, the evil one can't touch us. Again, in Revelation chapter 12, I said 13 earlier, I meant chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, if you want to overcome the devil, you just have to love the word of God with your life. Uh, Speak that testimony and trust in his blood, his shed blood. And there's nothing he can do to you. There's victory in Jesus. And if you want to partake of that victory and be a participant in that, then the invitation is open to you. Join his side. Quit fighting with the devil. Fight against him for a while. 
Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't taken that step yet, do that this evening. And if you're a child of God already, but you haven't been living for him and you haven't recognized the joys that are theirs for, there for you to have, ask for forgiveness and start thinking about your blessings and live more faithfully, more closely to him, giving thanks because he's given us this life after death. If you're here, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing if you need to.